open up our Bibles tonight to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. This fits in very well with that song. I'd like to have you stand for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah's vision of God's glory. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word. What a magnificent passage. It talks about the glory of God sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. This vision that Isaiah had that was such an encouragement to him. We thank you tonight for the encouragement of the service, Lord, for the singing and the music and the Bennetts. And now the word of God. Might our hearts be encouraged, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to look at the sovereign in the vision, verse 1. Then the seraphim in the vision, verse 2. Then the song in the vision, verses 3 and 4. And finally, the servant in the vision, verses 5 through 8. And I promise you, this is not going to be really long. Sounds like it, but it won't be. So let's start out with verse 1. The sovereign in the vision. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And so we, here we are. It is 758 B.C., according to the Schofield Notes. At this time, King Uzziah, the mostly godly king of Judah, is dead. You can read about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. He intruded into the priest's office at the end of his reign and was struck with leprosy, and then he died. So that was discouraging. I'm sure it was discouraging for Isaiah. He was a capable leader, and now there is no capable leader on the horizon. Things are looking bad. If you look at the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, you'll see how Isaiah lays out all the sin that's going on in the nation Israel. And it wasn't pretty. It was discouraging. And uh, the people were not disposed to listen to the prophet Isaiah. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Um, but, so Isaiah's discouraged, and he goes to the temple to pray. And while he's there, God gives him this incredible, life-changing vision to encourage him and then he goes on to serve the Lord. So notice in verse 1, we have a picture of a Middle Eastern king and his ministers back in Bible days. But this is no earthly king. Hold your finger here and turn to John uh, chapter 12. 
I want to show you something in uh, verses 36 through 41. John chapter 12, verses 36 through 41. In John chapter 12, verse 36, it says, While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake, and spake of him, referring to this very vision. You know, it was the Lord Jesus Christ that he saw in this vision. According to John, this is the one that he saw uh, back there in 758 B.C. when he was there in that temple. And as he saw the Lord, he saw the throne there, which was high and lifted up, elevated above all powers in the universe. Uh, And then we learn from the book of Ephesians that the Lord Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that the whole universe, the whole creation is subject Unto him, he is above all, he is sovereign. And so here in God's word in the Bible, we see the Lord Jesus Christ on the throne here in this vision. But guess what? Humanism has man on the throne, don't they? And atheism doesn't even have a throne, do they? But in the Bible, the Lord Jesus is on the throne, and that's who we're talking about tonight, the sovereign in the vision. And we saw his train that filled the temple And his throne that was high and lifted up. This train is his royal garments that he has on. But notice that they fill the entire temple as they come down from heaven and fill that whole expanse of space. Uh, Royal robes flowing down, the temple filled, filled with them. A picture of one who has absolute authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is filling your vision tonight? What is it that you're looking to tonight? Are all your problems what are filling your vision? I hope not. I hope you can look behind the problems and the difficulty, look beyond them to the God of the problems, the one who's going to solve your problems. He's the one who should fill our vision. And this is what God is showing the prophet Isaiah. Well, let's move along and look at the seraphim in this vision, these angels who praise God here in verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. So here in verse 2, we have these seraphim, these angels, who are hovering over the throne of God as he sits there high and lifted up. And with two of their wings, they're flying, hovering there bent on serving the Lord, ready to serve at a moment's notice. And then two of the other wings are covering their faces in humility. They couldn't even look on God. God is so holy. And they show their humility by covering their faces. And, uh, and then uh, as we look at this, uh, two of them, they fly, two cover their face, and uh, two cover their feet in humility for God. And they sing this song 
Uh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The song in the vision. That's quite a song to be singing the holiness of God. Notice the word is repeated three times. I don't know of another word in the Bible that's repeated three times in a row like that. But the word holy is. This is God's overriding attribute. His holiness. Holy means to be set apart. God is completely set apart from everything else. He's set apart from all evil. So in that sense, he is morally holy. A set-apart God who is perfect in holiness. That's the song that these seraphim are singing. They could be singing other things, but no. They're singing about God and specifically about his holiness. Notice the weight of the song that they're singing here in verse 4. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So there was an earthquake. The temple was shaking when this song was sung. And there was smoke, which is the manifestation of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory there, filling that area because of that particular song that they sang. You know, music is very important. We heard some tremendous music here tonight. This music was not tainted in the least by the world's music. There was no worldly beat to this. There was, it was nothing like that. Hold your finger here. Turn back to the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3. In the Minor Prophets, Zephaniah, towards the end of your Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, it's before that. Habakkuk, Micah. Now I'm having trouble finding it. Um, it's only a couple pages long. But there's an important verse that I want to share with you once I get there. Here it is, Zephaniah. Um, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17 is the verse. I only learned about this verse a little while ago. And it really blessed my heart. Look at this, Zephaniah three seventeen. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Do you realize that God sings? Isn't that amazing? I never knew that. God sings. He invented music. He created Lucifer, the highest angel. Lucifer was like the minister of music in heaven before the fall. Uh, hold your finger and go back to Ezekiel 28 and verse 13 in your Old Testament. Ezekiel 38 and verse, or Ezekiel 28 and verse 13. Ezekiel 28 and verse 13. Speaking of Lucifer, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Lucifer actually has things on his body that make music, pipes and tabrets. And so he had a tremendous ministry of music in heaven before the fall. But now there has been a fall. Now he's Satan. And he is, he, his knowledge of music is only second to the Lord himself. And now he is devoted 
to destroying everything there is about God, everything. You know, he doesn't want the gospel. He certainly doesn't want godly music. And so what he's been doing is trying to bring in the wrong types of music into the church to try to destroy it. That's been his ministry. We need to realize that. We need to have a purity about our music because God's the one who invented it. God sings. He created Lucifer, who was the minister of music in heaven, and now Lucifer is devoted to destroying the right kind of music. The Bible talks about singing a new song or a different kind of a song. When I was newly saved, and the first time I ever went to a Bible-believing church, I used to be in a rock band before I was saved, so I knew all about the wrong kind of music. And uh, when I got saved and I went into a gospel-preaching church, I heard music like none that I had ever heard in my life. It's different, folks. God's music is different. This music you heard here tonight is different. It's not like the world's. It's not meant to be like the world's music. When we get to heaven, think about the type of music that there'll be in heaven. What do you think it'll be? Think it'll be rock in heaven? I doubt that very much. It's not going to be. It's going to be even grander and greater than what we heard here tonight. This is just a foretaste. But we need to think about what is the right kind of music and not allow worldliness to get involved in it. And back here in Isaiah chapter 6, these angels are singing the right kind of music. They're singing about God's holiness, and it's causing an earthquake and the Shekinah glory to fill the temple. What an effect that had uh, on Isaiah, I'm sure. And what an effect we can have with the right kind of music. Now, the church I just came from, Berean Baptist Church, we actually had a recording ministry in that church. I have a small recording studio. And the local church voted to have a ministry in their church of recording godly music because it's disappearing, folks. And so we found fundamental Bible-believing Christians that believed the right things and had the right kind of music. And we worked with them for free and we produced Christian CDs. And the Bennetts, you see here, is one of the major people that we worked with. We did a lot of recording with them. And I thank the Lord for it. And we were trying as a local church, you know, to fill the gap and keep the right kind of music going. So that was important to us back in Berean Baptist Church. So I've studied this a lot. I've thought about this a lot. I've been involved in this, folks, for, for a long time. So let's move along. We're talking about the song in that vision and the effect that it had. Let's look at the servant now in the vision, the prophet Isaiah, and see what happened as a result of this vision. Notice in verse 5, this is what he says. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He immediately saw his sinful condition when he was confronted with this vision. And he realized that he was in danger of dying because to see God in, in your normal body is too much. You can't, you can't survive that. Think about what happened with Moses when his face shone. He only saw the back parts of God. So can you imagine uh, Isaiah feeling like, like he, he was going to die? He says, woe is me, woe upon me, which means I'm ruined, I'm coming apart, he says. I am undone, I am perished, I am destroyed, I'm like a dead man. I am a man of unclean lips, polluted by sin. This is what he saw in himself. That's the effect that this had on him when he was confronted 
with the Lord Jesus Christ on his throne and these angels singing about God's holiness. He was deeply affected by this. And so notice in verses 6 and 7, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which had take, he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And it, he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And so God dealt with his sin. You know, we can't do anything ourselves about our sin. God has to deal with our sin, right? And when I think in my own life back in 1978, I heard the gospel for the first time. I actually heard the words born again together. I'd never heard that. I was raised as a Roman Catholic, and I was completely isolated from the gospel, folks. I heard born again. My head turned right around. I, what? That makes no sense at all. I never even heard those two words used together. I was 27 years old. My wife had trusted Christ as her Savior, and she was telling me about it. And I heard these words, and my reaction was to just get out of there. So I got out of the room. I couldn't handle even hearing about it. But, you know, I noticed something different about her. She was not the same person. And I realized that she had something that I didn't have. And so one night, late at night, by myself in my living room in front of the coffee table, I was struggling. And I was agreeing with God. God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I, I, and that night I agreed with God. I said, you know what, God? I am a sinner. I'm a wicked sinner. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Separation from God in a place called hell where there's fire and, and uh, torment for all eternity. I agreed with God about that. I realized that's where I was headed. I was a guilty sinner, and I was headed for hell. And then I realized that the Lord Jesus came and died on Calvary's cross as a human sacrifice for me to be my sin substitute. He took the punishment that I should have upon himself there on the cross when he suffered on Calvary's cross and bare my sins. I realized that. And I realized that eternal life was a gift that God gives us because of what Christ did on Calvary's cross. What I needed to do was reach out and receive that precious gift that night. And I struggled with that. Turn with me to the Gospel of John for a moment, chapter 1, in verse 12. John 1, 12. It says, But as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I needed to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I needed to trash all my religion that I had had for 27 years. I needed to trash the idea that I was a good person and that maybe I would get to heaven because I was good enough. I had to trash all that thinking. The Bible says here, even to them that believe on his name. Now, I knew there was a Jesus. I believed that much. But I never believed on him. I never put my trust in him. I never relied upon him to get me to heaven. That I hadn't done. I was relying on religion, not Jesus Christ. And so that night, the best way I knew how, I got on my knees. I told Jesus I was sorry for my sins. And I asked him to come into my life and save me. I received him that night as my savior. And when I stood up, I was different. I ran into the bedroom, woke up my wife, and I said, I did it. <laughs> did what? <laughs> I said, I received Christ as my Savior. And he changed my life, folks, completely. 
because I put my faith and trust in him. I relied upon him. He took care of my sin. Back here in Isaiah 6, uh, it's God that deals with Isaiah's sin when he felt so undone and so sinful before God there in verses 6 and 7. And so then notice what happened after that in verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, us. There's a hint there of the triunity of God in the Old Testament. Then said I, here am I, send me. He wasn't qualified before, but now God had qualified him. He took care of his sin as a result of this vision. And Isaiah was ready. And so in the vision, when God asked the question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Is that you tonight? Do you feel like God would have you to serve him? About a year and a half after I was saved, I was going to a good Bible-believing church. I got baptized, I joined, I got involved, and the Lord called me into the ministry. And it was odd. <laughs> My wife was in the hospital having a baby. And uh, I was home telling the Lord how much I loved him and things, like you would. It was a very emotional time, and I'm kind of emotional. And so I went into the hospital to visit, and there was a Gideon Bible in there, and I opened it up, and it said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And I was blown away. <laughs> and uh, I knew what God wanted. He was calling me into the ministry. So my pastor and I talked. He said, give it a, some time and see if it's really real. And it was. The Lord would not let go of it. And finally, I started out teaching in a Christian school and then assistant to the pastor. Then I went to Bible college at Practical Bible Training School. And that song, His Eyes on the Sparrow, by the way, was written on that campus along with a bunch of other songs. And so I had the privilege of going to a really good school, although it doesn't exist now. But back then, it, it, it was awesome. And so that's how God worked in my life. Maybe he's working in your life tonight. And you would say, here am I, send me. I'm, I'm going to ask the pastor to come for the invitation.